The grandest of grand operas, Aida is also an intimate love story. Today, we explore this legendary Verdi masterpiece, a treasure of the repertory since its premiere in 1871. The Metropolitan Opera Guild is dedicated to enriching people's lives through an awareness and deeper appreciation of opera. Our podcast features lectures and events presented by the Guild in support of performances at the Metropolitan Opera. To learn more, visit metguild.org. I'm Naomi Baratera. Verdi's Aida is opening at the Met on Saturday, November 5th. For this opera, Verdi had to invent a musical sound world that captured the exotic setting of the story, ancient Egypt. Here's lecturer Bridget Paolucci in a Talking About Opera program on Aida, recorded in 1993. Legend has it that Giuseppe Verdi composed Aida for the opening of the Suez Canal. Actually, in August 1869, Verdi was invited to write a hymn for the inauguration of a new opera house in Cairo, as part of the festivities surrounding the opening of the canal. Verdi replied that he appreciated the invitation, but he said, I regret that I must decline this honor because of the number of my current activities, and because it is not my custom to compose occasional pieces. The new opera house in Cairo did open with Verdi's music, not with a new work, but rather with a production of his Rigoletto on November 1st, 1869, two weeks before the opening of the canal. The Egyptians were still determined, however, to commission a new work by a major composer for their opera house, and Verdi was their first choice. In Aida, Verdi combined the fresh melodies, intense passions, rhythmic energy, and perceptive characterization typical of his earlier works with the choruses, ballets, and spectacle of grand opera. The grand and the personal are skillfully integrated into a cohesive whole. No matter how huge the ensembles, the characters remain individuals throughout the course of the opera. Aida is notable for its local color, for its inventive harmony and orchestration which create a genuinely exotic atmosphere. Genuinely exotic, however, doesn't mean authentic. Verdi invented his own Egyptian music. The story of Aida is simple, and I'll summarize it briefly before discussing each scene. The opera is set in ancient Egypt. Act One is divided into two scenes. The first takes place in the royal palace in Memphis, Ethiopia has attacked Egypt, and the high priest Ramphis is on his way to tell the king the name of the general whom the goddess Isis has chosen to lead the Egyptian troops. Radames, the young captain of the guard, hopes that he will be that warrior. Radames is in love with Aida, an Ethiopian slave in the service of Amneris, the Egyptian princess who herself is in love with Radames. No one knows that Aida is also a princess the daughter of Amonazro, king of Ethiopia. When Radames is appointed to lead the Egyptian troops, Aida is torn between loyalty to her country and her love for Radames. The basic conflict of the plot is established simply and directly in the prelude. It begins with a theme associated with Aida, a theme composed of short, yearning phrases, wisps of sound that move upward, embodying her delicacy and vulnerability. This poignant theme is introduced by muted violins playing pianissimo, very softly. 
As you'll hear next, the theme of the priests is introduced by muted cellos. This somber theme moves downward, indicating the oppressive nature of the priest's authority. It begins softly, but builds quickly as trumpets are added, asserting the power of the priests. The two themes collide, Aida's theme in the violins and woodwinds, that of the high priests in unison trombones, horns, violas, and bassoon, which give it a dark and imposing sound. Clearly, the prelude embodies one of Verdi's favorite dramatic themes, helplessness versus power, the person of Aida pitted against the oppressive forces of government and religion. When the curtain goes up, Ramphis and Radames are in mid-conversation. The high priest tells Radames that the name of the warrior appointed to lead the Egyptian troops will be announced soon. Left alone, Radames hopes that he will be that warrior. Claiming that he will triumph for Aida's sake, he sings the aria, Celeste Aida, Heavenly Aida. The recitative to the aria reveals that he's both warrior and lover, as he expresses his desire to lead the troops, fanfares and the trumpets and trombones depict the warrior. His vocal line is vigorous until he mentions Aida, at which point it becomes more lyrical. When he concludes the recitative, saying he has battled for her and won for her, per teo pugnato, per teo vinto, he is once again totally the warrior. But then there's a subtle orchestral transition, not a change of notes, but a change of register and instruments on the note F, from low to high, from brass to woodwinds to violins, as the warrior becomes the lover. In the ensuing aria, Radames sings of Aida as a mystical garland of light and flowers. As we resume with the recitative, listen for the transition to Radames as lover.
Amneris appears, disturbing his reverie. Her entrance music is elegant, based on graceful triplets that depict her as princess. She asks Radames the reason behind the happy expression on his face. Radames answers that he was hoping to lead the Egyptian troops into battle. To a languid accompaniment, Amneris asks if Radames ever thinks of anything else. Don't you have any desires? Hopes? she asks. Verdi, in his production notes, says that she sings Desideri, Speranze, with much intent, and smiles maliciously. Fearful that his feelings for Aida will be discovered, Radames says, Io, I, and then to himself, Quarinquista, what a question. His nervous reaction prompts the highly agitated theme of her jealousy. The tempo speeds up as the strings introduce and repeat this skittish staccato theme, a theme that makes her jealousy palpable. The tempo slows down when Aida enters to the music of her theme played sweetly in the solo clarinet. Amneris sees Radames' reaction to her slave and immediately suspects the truth. But when she greets Aida and asks why she's in tears, Amneris is very controlled, and her self-control is marked by steady one-to-a-beat chords in the orchestra. Aida answers that she fears for her country. Isn't there some other reason? asks Amneris. Silently, Aida looks away, trying to hide her emotions, and then, as you'll hear when we resume listening, the quick staccato notes of the jealousy theme once again dominate the scene. Radames now realizes that Amneris has guessed his feelings for Aida, and he and Amneris comment on the situation. Each sings a separate aside, but since their thoughts are interrelated, they share a melodic line. Amneris begins by saying, Trema rea schiava! Tremble, O guilty slave! And Radames continues the melody, expressing his fear that Amneris has read the lover's hearts. Oblivious to what's happening between the other two, Aida weeps, not only for her countrymen, but for her own hapless love. Her vocal line floats above theirs in a melody that spins out in sustained notes and long phrases. That melody contrasts with the low, quick-paced, frenetic one shared by Radames and Amneris. As you'll hear, the trio is propelled forward by the energetic rhythm of the jealousy theme. The trio launches the plot and establishes the relationship between the main characters. It's immediately followed by a fanfare of trumpets, trombones, and horns. 
this drama of three individuals swiftly becomes grand opera as the Egyptian king, surrounded by his entourage, announces that a messenger has arrived from the Ethiopian border. When the messenger reports that Amorazro himself, the Ethiopian king, is leading his troops, Aida simply exclaims, Mio padre, my father, revealing to the audience that she's princess of Ethiopia in a masterstroke of economy. A cry of guerra, guerra, war, war precedes the Egyptian king's announcement that Radames will lead the troops into battle. As you'll hear next, the king introduces a martial tune as he sends the troops off to war. The melody reflects the power of government in its majestic sound. <laughs> Ramphis joins in, and the ensemble grows as the chorus repeats the march, followed by Radames, who proudly sings that same melody, while simultaneously Aida expresses her anguish at being torn between Radames and her people. The orchestra seethes with energy as the war cry is heard again, ending with the words, Ritorna vincitor, return victorious, sung by Amneris. Everyone, including Aida, echoes her words. As the orchestra repeats the march, the crowd disperses, leaving Aida alone. Horrified that she could have wished victory to the troops fighting her own people, Aida expresses the conflict between her love for Radames and her love for her country in Ritorna Vincitor. The solo scene ends with a prayer for mercy. Numi pietà, prays Aida. Gods have mercy on my suffering. Break my heart and let me die. The voice soars softly in a melody that embodies her weariness and vulnerability, her desire to be removed from her earthly agony. The long phrase sung over trembling strings is touching in its simplicity. establishing the character of Aida as the focal point of the drama. The second scene, called the Grand Scene of the Consecration, takes place in the Temple of Vulcan. The high priest Ramphis invokes blessings on the forthcoming battle. Radames receives his consecrated sword and armor, and he, Ramphis, the priests, and priestesses pray for victory. 
The scene opens with a solo incantation to the mighty god Phtah, sung by the high priestess from behind the scenes, accompanied by backstage harps. Ramphis and Radames, who along with the priests are near the altar on stage, call on the god Phtah to listen to their prayer. After the sacred dance of the priestesses, Ramphis gives Radames his sword, then invokes the blessings of the gods on Egypt. After an ensemble involving Radames, Ramphis, and the priests, the scene ends as the priestesses resume their soft chant off stage. Their prayer is followed by a drum roll, then a fortissimo cry of Imensofta. Great God Fta. The second act is also divided into two scenes. The first takes place in the apartments of Amneris. The princess is being attired for the celebration of Egypt's victory over Ethiopia. She calls for Aida and tricks her into admitting her love for Radames by lying, telling Aida that he was killed in battle. We resume listening as Amneris says, Fissa min volto io tinganava. Look at me, I've tricked you words sung over taut tremolo strings. When Aida learns that Radames is alive, she cries out, Vive, he lives, and her voice rings out on a sustained high A as the orchestra reinforces her joy full force. After this outburst from Aida, Amneris speaks Verdi's lines, You love him, I love him too, again over tremolo strings, and her vocal line leaps upward as she proclaims herself the daughter of Pharaohs, Figlia de Faraoni. As I'll point out to you, Aida almost gives herself away. An agitated figure rises in the orchestra as she proudly declares, I am also, then stops gasping ah, at the thought of her near self-betrayal. Throwing herself at the feet of Amneris, Aida pleads, Have pity on me. It's true that I love him, but you're happy and powerful, and I live only for this love. The vocal line filled with pathos barely moves. It's restrained, rising on the word possente when Aida says that Amneris is powerful. The gentle accompaniment by two flutes, one clarinet, and a solo bassoon consists primarily of broken arpeggios, reinforcing the sense of total helplessness created by the melody. 
Trema vil schiava gloatsam neris, tremble vile slave. The vocal line spills downward as though crushing Aida, and the descending orchestra expresses the utter indignation of Amneris and her sense of power. Aida repeats her pathetic little plea, but to no avail. Tremble, answers Amneris, and the two vocal lines overlap as the duet continues. As the words are theatrical, so is the music. The emotions of the two women, their differing personalities, their relationship to one another, and the drama of the moment... All this is captured in the very shape of the music. Aida almost gives herself away. A fanfare announcing the celebration intrudes upon the scene, and Amneris exits. Alone, Aida prays, Numi Pieta, ending this scene as she ended the first scene of Act One. The second scene of Act Two is the famous triumphal scene. The setting is an avenue in the city of Thebes. 
the king of Egypt, Ramphis, Amneris, attended by Aida, and the priests and people assemble to honor Radames. The king welcomes the young warrior and tells him he can have anything he wants as a reward for victory. Radames asks that the Ethiopian prisoners be brought in, and Aida recognizes her father, Amonazaro, who's dressed as an officer. Telling the Egyptian court that the Ethiopian king died in battle, Amonazaro begs for mercy. Radames asks that his reward be the release of the prisoners, but Ramphis insists that the king hold Aida's father as hostage. Then the Egyptian king gives his daughter's hand in marriage to the victorious hero, causing great rejoicing for everyone except Aida and Radames. There are three distinct climaxes within the scene, each one more complex and more dramatically significant than the preceding one, giving the scene variety and creating a pattern of tension and release that keeps dramatic interest high. The scene begins with a brief hymn to the glory of Egypt sung by the people. Marked Allegro Maestoso, it's both brisk and majestic. Verdi regarded the first part of the triumphal scene as a long and detailed march. It includes the hymn to Egypt sung as the king and his entourage enter, the chorus of priests intoning a variant of the hymn as they thank the gods for victory, and the procession of Egyptian troops entering to the sound of the grand march, a march that remains exhilarating despite its familiarity. Three trumpeters on stage introduce it. The march is immediately followed by a ballet in which dancers present the spoils of the conquered. The tempo quickens and the hymn builds to an exuberant climax as Radames enters, concluding the first part of the triumphal scene. The second part begins with a single voice, as though cleansing the palate momentarily from the enormity of the sound that precedes it. It's the voice of the king who greets Radames as the savior of his country. We resume listening as the procession ends and the chorus greets the victorious Radames. Then the second part of the scene begins. The king greets Radames. Radames asks that the prisoners be brought in, and Aida recognizes her father. As always, Verdi insisted on economy. Aida simply gasps, Che vego egli mio padre! What do I see? He, my father, swiftly introducing the next element of the plot. 
Amanazro, in a brusque aside, warns her not to betray him. As Amanazro steps forward to confront the king of Egypt, a loud rising figure is heard twice in the bassoon's horns and lower strings, a figure that instantly gives a measure of the defiant Amonazro. Who are you? asks the king of Egypt. Her father, answers Amonazro. The tempo slows down. The vocal line is broken. The phrase is taut as he continues. I fought. We were defeated. In vain I sought death. A thud in the timpani completes his statement. As he claims that his troops are ready to die, his vocal line climbs upward. Then, unexpectedly, it's truncated. There's a rest, followed by a total change in his approach. But you, king, you powerful lord, mature tu signore possente, remember that our positions might have been reversed. The sheer beauty of the melody, accompanied by soft legato strings, is enticing. Obviously, the wily Amonazro has decided to change his tactics. Verdi instructs that this melody be sung sweetly by Amonazro as he pleads for freedom. Aida, along with the slaves and prisoners, repeats the melody, and the ensemble swells as their pleas become more urgent. In a descending, heavily accented passage, Ramphis and the priests protest, warning the king not to listen, as Aida and the prisoners interject cries of pietà. The people join in, asking their king to have pity on the Ethiopians, and the sound grows as everyone on stage participates in the ensemble. We begin as Aida recognizes her father, then listen to the narrative that paints a vivid picture of Amonazro's character and finally the plea for freedom. Amonazro begins to plead. Mature, 
the priests warn their king. ensemble builds to a climax, ending the second part of the triumphal scene. The third begins when Radames, seeing Aida suffering, asks for the release of the prisoners. Ramphis objects, but since he can't convince Radames to withdraw his request, the high priest recommends that the king hold Amonazo hostage. The king agrees. Tension builds again as the king gives his daughter's hand in marriage to Radames. During the final ensemble, as the people recall their hymn to Egypt, Radames and Aida express their dismay in an anguished melody sung in unison. They're together musically, in other words emotionally, even though they're separated physically throughout this scene. Amneris, in a counter-melody, relishes her victory. The tempo speeds up, and Amonazro, who has guessed the truth, tells his daughter they'll soon have vengeance. The people repeat their hymn as the priests praise the gods in a counter-melody. Simultaneously, Amneris continues her jubilant comments and Amonazro his assurances to his daughter, while Radames and Aida express their bewilderment in yet another unison melody. And this splendid scene ends with a reprise of the Grand March. The third act takes place on the banks of the River Nile, outside the Temple of Isis, on a moonlit night. Amneris arrives with Ramphis, it's the eve of her marriage to Radames, and she has come to the temple to pray. No sooner has Amneris entered the temple than Aida arrives. Radames has asked her to meet him there. She's confronted by her father, Amonazro, who demands that she obtain information about the position of the Egyptian troops from Radames. Aida reluctantly agrees. Radames arrives, and Aida eventually convinces him to flee to Ethiopia with her. As they're leaving, she asks about the position of his troops. Radames answers, and to his horror, Amonazro reveals his presence. Amneris exits from the temple, sees Radames running off with Aida and her father, and cries out, Traitor! Amonazro tries to stab her, but she's saved by Radames. Aida and Amonazro flee, and the act ends as Radames surrenders to the high priest. After a brief incantation sung backstage by the priests and the high priestess, Verdi wanted it very brief to avoid comparison with the consecration scene, Amneris arrives by boat with Ramphis. The sincerity of her love for Radames is evident as she tells Ramphis she'll pray that her bridegroom will love her as deeply as she loves him. They enter the temple and the stage is empty for a few moments. Aida enters to the sound of her theme. 
distraught, she says to herself that if Radames has asked to meet her for a final farewell, she'll drown herself in the Nile, and the lower strings churn as she mentions the dark, swirling waters of the river. The oboe sounds a melody in triplets, a limpid melody that signifies Ethiopia, as Aida begins her great aria, known by the first words of the recitative, O Patria Mia. O Patria Mia, my beauty rivedro, sings Aida. O my homeland, I'll never see you again. The soft orchestral postlude of her aria is truncated by Amonazro's entrance. In the ensuing duet between this desperate king and his daughter, Amonazro tells Aida that he knows she loves Radames and claims that she can win back both her country and her love. Cleverly, Amonazro describes the homeland she will see again in a soothing melody sung dolcissimo, very sweetly, a melody Aida all too willingly echoes. Amonazro proves to be as manipulative with his daughter as he was with the Egyptian king. He reminds her of the suffering in Ethiopia created by the Egyptian troops and tells her that his forces have regrouped and are ready to attack. Then Amonazro announces that she is the one who will obtain information about enemy troops from Radames. Horrified, Aida refuses to consider his demands. In a savage outburst, underlined by the full orchestra, with blaring trumpets and trombones and turbulent strings, Amonazro describes the blood and destruction that will result from her refusal to cooperate. He claims that the ghosts of the dead will blame her for their fate, and in a slithering passage, says that the ghost of her own deceased mother will haunt her. Then he spews out this final insult. You are not my daughter, but the slave of the pharaohs. According to Verdi's production notes, Amonazro seizes her arm with such violence that he throws her to the ground. In a letter to Ghislanzoni, the composer said that at this point, Aida, who is in a state of fear and depression, can only speak in broken phrases after her father has denounced her. Ghislanzoni provided those broken phrases. Father, their slave, I'm not. Don't damn me. 
and Verdi composed a weary melody for the cellos, basses, and bassoons to accompany them, sometimes even to complete them. We begin with Aida's broken phrases, followed by an expansive melody sung by Amonazro as he tells his daughter that she has saved her people. This is the turning point in the drama. Aida has chosen public duty over her personal feelings. When Radames enters, he's delighted to see her, but she rebuffs him, saying there's no hope for them. Naively, he tells her that after his next victory over the Ethiopians, a victory predicted over a light staccato accompaniment in the trumpets, he will ask for her hand in marriage, and the Egyptian king must grant his wish. Aida reminds him that Amneris will be out for vengeance. Torn apart by the conflict within him, Radames is nonetheless finally convinced to leave with Aida, but only after she says that if he doesn't go with her, he'll return to Amneris and leave Aida and her father to die. Ecstatically, the lovers sing of their future together. As they're about to leave, Aida stops. The orchestra is soft and sustained, highlighting the text as she asks Radames about the position of the troops, and he answers the Gorge of Napata. Abruptly, Amonazro emerges from hiding and announces that his troops will be there. Radames asks who has overheard them, and Amonazro answers, Aida's father and the king of the Ethiopians. The sense of shock is captured in a totally disjointed vocal line that resembles gasps of sound uttered against brief rhythmic figures in the orchestra. Aida tries to console Radames in a single phrase of exquisite beauty, but he can only say, Io son disonorato, I'm dishonored. The words are set high in the voice, devoid of melody, like a piercing cry. Amonazro tries to calm him in a steady, gradually descending phrase, but again Radames cries out that he is dishonored. 
we resume as Radames unwittingly betrays the location of his troops. This brief trio is a brilliant example of the economy and emotional truth of Verdi's style. After Amneris cries Traditor, the full orchestra plays huge chords prestissimo very quickly as Amonazzo attacks Amneris, Radames saves her, and Aida and her father escape. Radames surrenders his sword to Ramphis, saying, Sacerdote, io resto a te. Priest, I remain with you, his voice ringing out over fortissimo chords as the orchestra brings Act Three to a close. <laughs> is divided into two scenes. The first takes place in a hall in the royal palace, leading to the subterranean chamber of justice where the trial of Radames is to take place. Amneris sends for him. She tells him that Aida escaped and Amonazra was killed. Amneris offers to try to save Radames if he will renounce Aida. Radames refuses. He is led away, tried by the high priests, accused of treason, and sentenced to be entombed alive in the vault beneath the altar of Vulcan. The brief orchestral introduction to Act Four recalls the jealousy theme. Alone and distraught, Amneris tells herself that Radames is a traitor, and then, succumbing to her emotions, sends the guards for him. Amneris addresses Radames three times, each time to a different melody, each melody capturing her ever more volatile emotions. At first, she's controlled. In a passage marked by dignity and restraint, she tells him that the priests are assembling to determine his fate. 
As she offers to help him, the melody becomes warmer and more lyrical, peaking when she tells him that she will be a messenger of pardon and life for him. As you'll hear, this excerpt clearly reveals her twofold state of mind. of her dignified melody, Radames tells Amneris that although he revealed the fatal secret, his honor remains pure because he never intended to betray his country. Amneris addresses him again. This time she begs him to live, and her vocal line surges in an intensely personal melody. But when she tells Radames that Aida is alive, and he refuses to promise that he'll never see Aida again, the tempo quickens, and the fury of Amneris erupts in a wide-ranging, jagged, heavily-accented melody, accompanied by an equally turbulent orchestra. Radames is led back to prison by the guards. His exit is immediately followed by the theme of the priests as the judgment scene begins. Romphis calls the name Radames three times, unaccompanied. Backstage unison trumpets and trombones echo his call. In chant, he accuses Radames of revealing national secrets. The Skolpati, defend yourself, says Romphis, a command repeated by the priests. A quiet roll of the drum denotes the silence of the prisoner. Egli tace, he is silent, says Ramphis, prompting the priest's verdict of traditor. Amneris wails in anguish, begging the gods for mercy, in sobbing two-note phrases, nu mi pieta.
a vigorous unison passage, the priests sentence him to be entombed alive. The final scene was entirely Verdi's idea. It takes place in the Temple of Vulcan, and the composer specified that the set be divided into two levels. On the top is the temple, and below the subterranean vault into which Radames has just been placed to await his death. The scene opens with just a few somber phrases in the orchestra. Radames quietly speaks of the fatal stone that has just sealed his tomb. Suddenly there's an agitated passage in the orchestra as Radames sees a shadow, thinks he's hallucinating, and then realizes that Aida is there. In a poignant passage, he expresses his sorrow that she has chosen to die out of love for him. Aida begins to hallucinate and says that she sees the angel of death. From this point on, the orchestral accompaniment for the lovers takes on a special sound, one that Verdi called translucent. The duet is O Terra Dio, sung shortly after Radames has tried to move the stone that seals the vault, and the lovers have resigned themselves to their fate. Verdi's words are simple and poignant. Farewell, O earth. Farewell, veil of tears. Our dream of joy has vanished in pain. The sky opens to us, and our wandering souls will fly into the ray of eternal day. We'll resume listening as the lovers repeat O Terra Dio in unison. As they sing, Amneris enters, dressed in mourning. She prays for Radames in short, grief-stricken phrases, sung on a single pitch. Beloved soul, peace, peace, pace, pace, she says. As the lovers die, the serene melody of their farewell to earth is played very softly, high in the muted first violins over trembling second violins and violas. When Amneris utters the word pace for the last time, the backstage chorus, barely audible, intones immenso fta. The very words that ended the first act with such majesty and power are reduced to a mere whisper.
That was Bridget Paolucci discussing Aida. On our next episode, we will be talking about Rossini's final and grandest opera, Guillaume Tell. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or Google Play Music to download all future episodes. There you can also share your thoughts or reviews. Or just send us an email at info at We always enjoy hearing from our listeners. I'm Naomi Baratera. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Metropolitan Opera Guild podcast.